Malachi chapter 2. I will be reading verses 1 through 9 in what is the third disputation or third collision between the Lord and his post-exilic people. And so now let me call your attention to the word of the Lord, which is holy, inspired, and life-giving. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, we do call upon you this evening to give us a word from your lips, that your spirit would be active in and among us as you speak your truth into our hearts. Lord, would you not turn your face away from us, but would you speak for your servants are listening. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you parents know the surprise on a child's face when they get called out for doing something wrong when they thought they were completely innocent. Perhaps you've seen that face. Well, in my elementary years, I remember I was out on a recess, and a couple of my closest friends were in a bit of a fight. And I was there right amongst them and, and even encouraging this battle to go forth. And the recess duty came over. And he pulled them apart and called them over. And then to my great surprise and horror, he looked at me and called me over. And I thought to myself, well, surely I can't be involved in this. I wasn't throwing the punches. I wasn't kicking. Uh, Surely I can't be in the wrong. That was all them. And I suppose that is something of what the Lord is doing with these priests in Malachi chapter 2, in verse 1, he says, And now, O priests, this command is for you. He's calling them out. They may have deluded themselves at the back half of chapter 1 into thinking that the Lord's strongest rebuke was for the people who were offering these lame and decrepit sacrifices, thinking that it was somehow pleasing to the Lord's. And perhaps these priests could have thought that, well, we've dodged a bullet here. The Lord's rebuke has been issued to his people, and uh, we have escaped uh, his wrath. After all, it's it's their fault that they've been bringing these lame and decrepit animals. Uh, But as we will see in this text, uh, the Lord includes them in this indictment. 
the Levitical priests. In fact, he brings his strongest rebuke upon the spiritual leaders of Israel. And why would he do that? Why would he bring such a, a strong rebuke? Well, how can the people be faithful if their leaders are not faithful? And that's the central theme I want to set before you this evening as we study uh, this passage. And it's a simple point that trouble in the pulpit leads to trouble in the pew. Uh, That when the leaders go wrong, the people go wrong. As the shepherds lead, the sheep will follow. And if the shepherds lead into danger, the sheep will surely be brought into danger. And so this is why we find in the New Testament uh, the moral priority of leaders in the church. Elders and deacons, you find these in the pastoral epistles. Uh, the, the fact is that if the, if the leaders of the church are not solid, sound in doctrine, sound in moral character, the people will be led astray. And so it's no wonder why James says uh, to the church, not many of you, my brothers, should become teachers uh, because you know that we, will, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so what we want to see tonight is this truth come to us first in the negative. As the Lord shows what the Levites are doing uh, is part of a failed ministry. And so God is not pleased with their sacrifices, not pleased with their ministry, and he curses their ministry. Uh, But we also want to see it in the positive as the Lord brings to mind uh, that former arrangement that he had with Levi as written in the law of God, uh, that they have departed They have fallen from the faithful ministry that he had prescribed in his word. Uh, Let's first look at the truth in the negative, this failed ministry. Uh, You'll notice in this this text that the text is actually bracketed by uh, the failure of the priests in verses 2 and 3, and then you find it again in verses 8 and 9. That first portion that we find is related to their leadership in terms of worship. And then in that latter portion will find that that failure is expressed in their terms in terms of the ministry of the word as it concerns the worship of the lord the source of their failure is found in the fact that they did not honor the lord look at verse 2 if you will not listen if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name says the lord of hosts this is the reason why he's bringing the indictment The priests were to be, first and foremost, the worship leaders of Israel. Their role was to manage the sacrificial system and to assist in the exercises of public worship to God in Israel. In Malachi's time, they were performing their duties. They were offering sacrifices on the behalf of the people. Uh, They were operating in the temple as they were commanded. Uh, But they lacked this one thing. They did not honor the name of God. Of the Lord. They did not listen to him. And so this is Malachi's burden. He says to them, in effect, you think that you have been faithful because you honor the forms, that you're doing your duties externally, that on the outside it looks like you're obeying the Lord, but you lack the heart of my commands. You've forgotten the first priority of worship it's honor and glory to our great God. And I suppose this is why it was such an unpopular message in Malachi's time. Uh, The people thought that they were faithful. Uh, In fact, it's it's, it's difficult and nearly impossible to get blind leaders of the blind to see that they are, in fact, blind. This is the context 
in Malachi's ministry. These people may have boasted in their worship thinking, oh, look how wonderful a thing it is now that we have the sacrificial system back after being a long lost in exile. Look how wonderful it is that we have the temple, a new temple where we can worship our God. And yet, the Lord calls to their attention, you haven't honored my name. You haven't given glory to me. Your heart is far from me. And because they have not honored or listened to the Lord, he has cursed their blessings. Look at the rest of verse 2. Then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. I remember a a rather well-known minister at one time talking about a conversation he had with another pastor, uh, and he was to preach at his church, and, and before the service, this other pastor had told him that he had one of these worship evaluators come in, a worship auditor, uh, come in and to evaluate the worship of the church. And so this other pastor was actually boasting in the worship of his church, saying that the evaluator came back and said that their worship was excellent, and that they were welcoming to outsiders, that their music was in rhythm and on tune, that their preaching was the right length and it was applicable to all areas of life. And so this minister that was speaking about this whole encounter said, it was at that moment I wanted just the heavens to open up and the Lord to say, let me be the evaluator of your worship. And I think that's what the Lord is doing here with the priest's worship. He's saying, you might boast in it. You might think that you are doing that which is right. But look how I regard it. I regard it as cursing. I've placed my curse upon you. And you perhaps get the most vivid depiction of what the Lord thinks of their worship here in verse 4. Excuse me, verse 3. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings. You shall be taken away with it. This curse extends not only to those perpetuating the system of dishonor of the Lord's name, but also to their offspring. The Lord is expressing his highest degree of displeasure with their service of worship. And he takes an image of the most unclean thing in their eyes, something that they would have been well acquainted with as they prepare animals to the sacrifice. He says, you are the very bowels of an unclean animal. Uh, Your worship is of such poor quality, is so uh, disgusting in my eyes, uh, that you will one day uh, just be taken away and be dumped off with the rest of the refuse. This is what the Lord thinks about their worship. They didn't honor the Lord. Their hearts were far from the Lord. And so he rebukes them. But how do they fare in terms of the ministry of the word? Jump down to verse 8. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. At first glance, it doesn't appear that they're doing any better in terms of their ministry of the word. And oftentimes when we think about the Levitical priests, we think about them mainly in terms of their worship, that they were offering these sacrifices. But we find all throughout the Old Testament that the Levites were to be the instructors 
of God's people. They were to be the teachers, the preachers, the pastors of God's people. You see that in Deuteronomy 33.10. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. In fact, we find them as the primary teachers of the law in the Old Testament. You see this in Nehemiah chapter 8 when they read the law and give its sense to the people. This was their duty to instruct the people, to teach the people the truth of God's words. But it says that they've actually turned aside from the way. They themselves have neglected the word of God. Its value to them was, of course, not more precious than gold or sweeter to honey than honey to them. But rather it was something that they could just give minimal attention to, just to perform the base level a duty that God required of them. And so, of course, we find that the, it says that they've caused many to stumble by their instruction. And isn't this always the pattern of false teaching that we find even today? Men with the appearance of godliness, with the title of pastor or preacher or maybe even prophet, um, these teachers who peddle the word of God uh, seeking after worldly gain, but haven't ever gained one ounce of spiritual good for their own souls. Uh, This is the kind of ministry that we're seeing here with the priests. And I know that some of you have sat under such a ministry that's devoid of the word of truth, that has uh, bring many people to stumble by their instruction, or at least you know someone who has. I think it's always good to remember that even in the presence of false teaching, the Lord would have us know what he thinks of it, that he brings his strongest rebuke against those who pervert the truth and claim to be leaders in the church. Look at verse 9. And so I make you despise and abase before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Leaders that do not honor the name of God nor give consideration to his word, will receive his curse. And they will be uh, put to shame before all people. You've seen that, I'm sure, of of ministry leaders and pastors, even in the last few years, who have uh, built up a huge ministry, uh, but neglected the truth of God's word and had some moral failure. And you've seen how they've been despised and abased before all people. Well, this is what the Lord promises to do with a failed ministry. This is the result of a failed ministry. But this is only one picture that we see in the text. We see a negative picture. But the Lord would also have us remember this positive portrait of a faithful ministry that was originally intended to be the dominating ministry model for Israel in verses 4 through 7. I have a picture at home that my dad gave me several years ago that um, is called the portrait of the minister. And perhaps you might know what that is if you've read uh, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Uh, it's when Christian comes into the interpreter's house and he sees this portrait hanging on the wall and asks, what means this? And the interpreter says, this is the true gospel minister. And I love the description 
that Bunyan gives of that true gospel minister. I think a description that we find here in this text, but he says uh, that the true gospel minister, his eyes are lifted up to heaven. The best of books are in his hands. The world is at his back and the law of truth is written on his lips. He stands as if he is pleading with men and upon his head hangs a crown of gold. Well, I think, of course, that Bunyan had this passage in mind when he wrote that pure description of a minister. And you'll see this here in verses 4 through 7. Uh, Look at verse 4 with me. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand. The Lord is saying to the people, these priests, uh, you have failed, but I have not failed. My covenant with Levi will stand. And I think this isn't necessarily a, a literal covenant that was made uh, that you can find actually in the Old Testament. I think it's more referring to that ideal arrangement of the priest that serves in God's uh, ministry. Um, it's the prototypical priest who stands to teach his word. It's the prototypical worship leader that leads the people in true worship. And you'll notice this description in verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. What a different picture than these priests. The Lord has said that you have not honored my name. You haven't listened to me. Well, the true priest, he listens to me. He honors my name. He stands in awe of me. There's perhaps no greater description or difference between that false kind of minister and the true minister. The false minister looks out upon the people, taking, their cue, taking his cues from the people, looking for his instruction by what is best fitted for the people's ears. But the true minister, he stands in awe of God. His eyes are lifted to heaven, and he has joy in doing the master's bidding. And then you'll see in verse 6 that there's a different kind of instruction that we find in his mouth. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found upon his lips. The faithful minister has the best of books in his hands, and the law of truths, the truth of his, on his lips. Uh, the, the true shepherd will lead his sheep into green pastures and along still waters. The Bible is in his mouth. The best thing a minister can say, the best prefix a minister can say, is not by claiming his own authority, by saying, because I am your pastor, I say this. No, when a minister says, the Bible says, then you know and you can have confidence that he won't lead you astray. The law of truth is written on his lips. A true instruction was in his mouth. I think you can rejoice when you have ministers that proclaim the truth to you, the whole counsel of God, and don't hold back to show partiality in their instruction like these Levitical priests. Those true ministers, you can rejoice because necessity is laid upon them uh, to deliver the word of truth. But then you find almost an Edenic uh, description of this true Levite. It says that he walked with me in peace and uprightness. He walks with the Lord. He has peace with God. He, He walks in righteousness. Uh, He is indeed the friend of God. It's always a wonderful thing to observe 
in someone's life when you can tell that that person has been with the Lord. Perhaps you remember from Acts chapter 4 when uh, the people look upon uh, Peter and John and they marvel because they see these these ordinary and uneducated men speaking with such boldness and they say that they have seen them because they have been with Jesus. That's the strength of a faithful ministry, that that the man walks with the Lord. And then it continues on. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. What a tragedy it is in this text that not only are the priests teaching the people falsely, not only are they giving them, not giving them true instruction, but they're actually leading them astray, leading them into sin. That's the tragedy. That's the disaster of Malachi's day. Uh, but the Lord reminds them that the true minister, the faithful minister, that will lead people away from iniquity. He stands as though pleading with men. He calls out those who are going astray. And he warns them by the terrors of the law. And he sweetly welcomes them by the promises of the gospel. And that's what the true minister does. He uses the word and he implores people, come, be reconciled to God. Then lastly, the faithful minister here that is described must guard the good deposit so that it is not forgotten by the people For the lips of the priests, verse 7, should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of hosts. I read an article a while back about a sermon that was delivered by Sir Lancelot uh, Andrews to King James I, and it was a three-word text that he used in his sermon It was simply that admonition from our Lord, remember Lot's wife. And it was in that sermon that he preached that he coined the term of preachers being the Lord's remembrancers, that they stand and remind the people of God's promises. They stand and remind the people of God's truth and his warnings. And he was pulling from a courtroom analogy that in those days in the king's court there was Uh, these court remembrancers that stood to always remind the king or the queen of uh, the promises that they had made or maybe the debts that were owed them. And it's true that the preacher, the the faithful minister, the faithful priest, reminds the people, he guards the good deposit that's been entrusted to him and that the people can actually seek him out for true instruction, that he's not going to tamper with the word. He's not going to adjust it to fit the day's cultural desires. No, he is going to guard and safe keep it so that it remains pure, untarnished, unblemished, so that the people might come to him for true instruction. This is the kind of servant of the Lord that the Lord brings his strongest commendation. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into your Father's rest. Uh, This is the crown of glory that hangs upon the true minister. And so we have two portraits before us. Uh, One is that of a failed ministry, and the other is that of a faithful ministry. I suppose there is a a word of warning to us all 
for those who minister the Word and those who sit under the ministry of the Word. And for those who sit under the Word, doesn't Paul warn Timothy that a time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions? We have that warning in Scripture because uh, desires can lead people astray. And in this world, you can find uh, any desire that you might have, and a teacher will suit that desire for you. If you desire wealth, you can turn on TV and watch a preacher that's going to talk to you about wealth. If you desire uh, lax morality, you can find those kinds of preachers all over the pages of YouTube. Um, that this is a, a constant concern because Satan is always bringing in false teachers. And so the word to those who sit under the word is you must find sound teaching. Teaching, You must desire true instruction. And for those who minister the word, myself included, isn't the core feature that God requires of his servants, of his ministers, of his priests in this passage is just simple faithfulness. That's what you want out of your elders and deacons and those who are faithful to the charge that God has commanded, those who don't rely upon their own talents and natural abilities, but simply do what the Lord has said. That's the ministry that the Lord has promised to bless. But none of us should miss the fullness of this passage, I think. None of us should miss what Malachi is really all about, preparing a people for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already seen Christ here in the book of Malachi. He is the Lord's love demonstrated to us. He is that true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who is unblemished and untarnished. And it's in this passage that we find the true minister, that Christ himself is our great high priest, something that we've read here uh, throughout the book of Hebrews, that he is the great high priest who has entered into the holy places, intercedes for his people. And it's on his lips there is true instruction. His back was turned against the world. He is the one who is standing and pleading with you, pleading his sacrifice, saying, come, turn away from your iniquities. Return to me, Come all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And he is the one who has the crown of glory hanging upon his head because he has ascended to the right hand of the Father and pleads even now before him for you and me. Men will always fail. Even the best of ministries are but earthen vessels that are prone to break and to be weak. But it's the ministry of this minister the Lord Jesus Christ, that you find a faithful one, a faithful minister who lives in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that we do have such a high priest, one who is seated on the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places. Lord, we thank you that even despite our inadequacy as Christians, as priests in your royal priesthood, you have forgiven us, you have cleansed us, and you have pointed us to the one who does 
faithfully serve you. And so, Lord, we do pray for faithfulness in our own lives, uh, that we would be faithful to you this week. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let us now rise to sing our hymn.